Genesis chapter 22, starting in verse 20 through all of chapter 23. So if you want to meet me at the end of Genesis chapter 22, we'll we'll pick up right there in verse 20. The text reads like this. Now after these things it was told to Abraham, Behold, Milcah has also borne children to your brother Nahor, Uz his firstborn, Buzz his brother, Kemuel the father of Aram, Chesed, Hazo, Pildash, Jidlaf, and Bethuel. Bethuel fathered Rebekah. These eight Milcah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother. Moreover, his concubine, whose name was Rumah, bore Teba, Geham, Tehosh, and Mekah. Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And Abraham rose up from before his dead and said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner and a foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place that I, that I may bury my dead out of my sight. The Hittites answered Abraham, Hear us, my Lord, you are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. Abraham rose and bowed to the Hittites, the people of the land, and he said to them, If you are willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat for me Ephron, the son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave of Malkpelah, which he owns. It is at the end of his field. For the full price, let him give it to me, in your presence as property for a burying place. Now Ephron was sitting among the Hittites, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the Hittites, of all who went, at, who went in at the gate of his city. No, my lord, hear me. I give you the field, and I give you the cave that is in it. In the sight of, my sons of, my, of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. Then Abraham bowed before the people of the land, and he said to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, But if you will hear me, I but, but if you will hear me, I give the price of the field. Accept it from me that I may bury my dead there. Ephron answered Abraham, My Lord, listen to me. A piece of land worth four hundred shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Abraham listened to Ephron, and Abraham weighed out for Ephron the silver that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver, according to the weights current among the merchants. So the field of Ephron and Malkpelah, which was at the east of Mamre, the field with the cave that was in it, and all the trees that were in the field throughout its whole area was made over to Abraham as a possession in the, in the presence of the Hittites, before all who went in the gate of his city. After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Malkpia, east of Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. The field and the cave that is in it were made over to Abraham as property for, for a burying place by the Hittites. Now, There is a inscription on a cathedral clock 
that reads, when as a child I laughed and wept, time crept. When as a youth I dreamed and talked, time walked. When I became a full-grown man, time ran. And later, as I older grew, time flew. Soon I shall find when, while traveling on, time gone. And we continue our series in Genesis tonight, and we are told that at the age of 127, Sarah's time had gone. And if you've followed this series at all on Sunday nights, then you'll no doubt be able to feel a fraction of Abraham's grief. In these opening words in chapter 23, verse 2, and Sarah died. We've seen Sarah at her best. We've seen Sarah at her worst. And because we've seen Sarah warts and all, we feel like we've gotten to know Sarah to some extent. So that we read, when we read in verse 2 that Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her, we can almost see, we can almost feel his tears weighted with memories pouring down his cheeks. But sad though this passage is, the author to the Hebrews tells us that Genesis 23 is a victory chapter. It's a chapter of victory. He writes in chapter 11 and says in verse 13, these, Sarah included, all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. And I want to argue tonight that those words are really the key to unlock Genesis 23, I'll confess, freely confess to you all that this was another one of those passages that I came to and said, surely there's not a sermon here. And I was almost hoping for a really bad turnout tonight, so I'm a bit, I'm a bit, I'm a bit disappointed. But in the end, I had more content than I knew what to do with. So what I'm going to do tonight is give us the meaning of Genesis N22 and into 23 as well. I'm going to give that to us right at the outset, right at the forefront. And then I'm going to spend the rest of the time applying the truth of this passage to us and to our lives. So let's start at the beginning with the genealogy at the end of Chapter 22, genealogies, you'll remember, I hope, in Genesis, tell us that the story is moving on. There's a transition ahead. That's why Rebecca is introduced in the genealogy. She'll marry Isaac, Abraham, and Sarah's firstborn. And so the author is telling us Abraham and Sarah's stories are coming to an end. But we might want to say to ourselves, but that can't be. Because they haven't received what they were promised. God had promised them the land of Canaan. God had promised them descendants more in number than the stars in the sky and more numerous than the grains of sand on the seashore. Sarah can't die because she only has one grain of sand. 
Sarah can't die because there's only one star in her sky. And Abraham can't be nearing the end because by the end of chapter 23, all he has to his name in Canaan is a field and a tomb. God had promised Canaan in its entirety. And yet, they are commended in Hebrews 11. Why? Because they died in faith Not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. Well, friend, if you are in Jesus Christ tonight, that is you. Because in Jesus Christ, we too have received great and precious promises. Some of those promises have been received in the here and now, just as Sarah had Isaac and just as Abraham had the field and the tomb. But there are many of God's promises that we see, many of God's promises that we greet from afar, and we have to wait. And so the question is, will we live and die in faith? Would the author of the Hebrews commend us and say, Hugh died in faith? Or insert your name there in Hebrews chapter 11. We've been forgiven now. Christ bore our sins in his body on the tree. We have been justified now. We've been declared righteous in God's sight. We have been adopted now, adopted into the family of God, given the surname Christian, Jesus as our elder brother, God the Father as our Father. We've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, indwelt by him in our new hearts of flesh. But we see and greet other great promises from afar. We've been promised resurrection bodies that don't age and that don't experience pain or get ill. We've, we've been promised perfect affections for Christ, whereas in the here and now, our affections are up and down and they go from the left and to the right. We've been promised a, a new creation that's not at enmity with us, but is surrendered and submitted beneath our feet. And the question is, how are we to live and die in faith while only greeting those promises from afar. How are we to do it? Well, there's two answers for us tonight, and we're going to see how Genesis 23 is sort of weaved into the application with me. So do hear me out. And the first answer is this. Do not despise the day of small beginnings. Now, why do I say that? I say that because the promises made to Abraham and Sarah had a greater fulfillment than at first we might have anticipated. And so when God promised to Abraham and Sarah offspring, more numerous than the stars in the sky, more numerous than the sand on the seashore, we might just assume that that just simply means loads and loads and loads and loads of kids who have loads and loads and loads of kids. But, tells, but Paul tells us in the New Testament that Abraham and Sarah's children include all who have Abraham's faith, whether bloodline, ethnic, biological, physical descendants or not. And when God promised the land of Canaan, we might just assume that just means the land of Canaan. But Hebrews 11 says, by faith, He, Abraham, went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. And then says of Abraham and Sarah, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. 
Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. And so the promises given to Abraham and Sarah in Genesis 12 and, 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 and then on had a bigger, wider, greater, grander fulfillment than any first-time reader of Genesis would have anticipated. And yet they started small. The oak tree of fulfillment began as an acorn of promise. And though Abraham and Sarah only saw the acorn in their lives, they were commended because they died in faith despite having received so little. Friends, again, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is ours in Christ Jesus. And we greet the visible promises, the physical promises of a new heaven, a new earth, a new body from afar. But instead of despising the day of small beginnings, we can rejoice in it. Why? Because the possession of the invisible promises is guarantee of the visible blessings later on. What I mean is this, if we've been justified, we will be glorified. If we've received the new birth, we will receive the new creation. If we've been saved from hell, we will be welcomed in to heaven. So rejoice, whether you see the acorn or whether you see the oak tree. Rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Don't despise the day of small beginnings. Instead, see it all in perspective. Remember what the apostle Peter wrote when he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, out obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So church, hold fast to what you have received before you take hold of what you will receive. Tighten your grip on the grace that is yours now as you await the inheritance that will be yours later. What did we read only this morning in Acts chapter 20? And now, Paul said, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all all those who are sanctified, hold on to the grace that you've received now ahead of the inheritance that you'll receive later on. 
in April of 2011, there were a series of tornadoes that marched through, that ripped through a state in the south of the U.S. It took 250 lives, and there was one family who realized that a tornado was coming their way, and yet they were a little bit late on, and so they had no permanent shelter in which to run. All they could do is run to uh, some trees that were nearby. They tied their children around the trees with a rope, and they just hold, held on to them with their lives. They held on for their lives and for their futures together, and we too are to hold on for the sake of what is promised to us in the future. We hold on to it now ahead of enjoying it in the future. But maybe you're here tonight, and you, you have despised the day of small beginnings, that perhaps as you wait for your resurrection body in pain and in great agony, you've doubted that things will ever change. Or perhaps as you're horrified at the unrighteousness that you see in the world or the unrighteousness that you see in yourself, you've, you've perhaps doubted the coming kingdom where righteousness dwells, this new Canaan. And instead of seeing and greeting the promises from afar, instead you've actually rolled your eyes at them and smirked at them as if anything could ever change. Friend, remember, forgiveness is available and change is possible. You remember Sarah laughed when she heard God promise what would one day be. But the author of the Hebrews says she died in faith. See, the way that you start isn't always the way that you will end. You can start in doubt and you can finish in faith. And, and dare we even remember what Abraham did when he doubted. He slept with Hagar and looked to the flesh to do what the spirit alone could do. And yet he died in faith and he was commended. Forgiveness is possible because 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And change is possible the more we look away from ourselves and the more we look away to the very little that we've received in this world by, by way of the visible at least. And look to the one whose glory changes us from one degree of glory to the next. How are we to die in faith? How are we to live and die in faith as we greet God's promises from afar? Well, we are not to despise the day of small beginnings. But second, do not settle for the day of small beginnings. Now, why do, I say, why do I say that? Well, Abraham had been in Canaan now for over 25 years at this point, by the time Sarah has died. And even though he'd been promised the land, evidently acquiring land and acquiring property was the very lowest of his priorities. How can we know that? Well, because only now at this point in his advanced age does he come to own any land at all. Why? Well, again, 
By faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. He was promised the land, but he was content to live a semi-nomadic life in tents. Why? Because he was looking to a greater land. A city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. He was looking for the new land, the new Canaan, when the glory of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And so on the one hand, he could insist on paying full price for Sarah's tomb. That would be how his descendants would have a legal right to the land in the future. Very, very, very important. But his sights were set on the new heavens and the new earth such that he could wait all those years before he did that. He didn't despise the day of small beginnings. He, he died in faith. But he didn't settle for the day of small beginnings either because his sights were set on what is to come, hence the delay in obtaining land. Well, friends, may that be true of us here too. Not despising the day of small beginnings, but also not settling for the day of small beginnings because we're aware of what is to come. And what is to come is better by far. So how can you know that you're someone who is looking to what is to come? Well, I want to share two traits with you. Trait number one, you have an open hand. You see, people who have their sights set on heaven feel free to be generous on earth. Do you remember all the way back in Genesis chapter 13, uh, Abraham and Lot separated, and Abraham gave, gave Lot the, the choice of the land. And, and could it have been even back then that, that Abraham was looking to the Canaan above the Canaan? And so it didn't really even matter to Lot which part he had of the earthly Canaan. Well, maybe we can't know exactly when that dawned on him. But when our eyes are on heaven more than earth, we can store up for ourselves treasures in heaven. Rather, treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. You know, some of our friends who we used to know and love a great deal in, in the States, in California, they left at the same time that we did, only they didn't leave to come to a place like Hoylake. Uh, they left to go to Papua New Guinea, where things would be quite different. And from a human perspective, they had everything before them. They were young, they were intelligent, they were successful in their careers, and they threw it all away for something infinitely better. And they've embarked on this 20-year journey of learning the language, of church planting, of preaching the gospel. Can I say to our young people here, fix your minds on heaven so that you know what to prioritize on earth. The sooner you get that, the better. Because again, Abraham had been promised all of Canaan. But as time neared, as time came to an end, he had only a field and a tomb to his name. Why? Because he was looking to better promises. And he was seeing them and he was greeting them from afar. And if you look for God's better promises to come, you will know what to prioritize on earth. So those who are looking to heaven have an open hand here 
on earth. But the other trait is this. They are not easily shaken by worldly sorrows and by worldly troubles. Do you remember how Paul summarized his sufferings in 2 Corinthians when he spoke of labors, imprisonments, countless beatings, often near death? He says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. And how on earth could he endure all that? Because he knew that the better Canaan belonged to him. He was able to write, wasn't he, in his last epistle, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, the Canaan below. But the things that are unseen are eternal, the Canaan above. I went to visit one of our members in hospital this past week. And although he was frail, I speak the truth when I say this to you. He was the happiest man on the ward. And he had a smile on his face from ear to ear. And it didn't take very much to make him laugh, even when I wasn't trying to make him laugh. I was like, okay. And you can only be like that when for every one look to the Canaan below, you are taking 10 looks to the Canaan above. That's the only way it happens. So if you're here tonight and you are not facing heaven, and you're not seeing and greeting these promises of the Canaan above from afar, then friend, can I say to you with all the love and compassion and concern in my heart for you, you are facing the promises of hell that God has made for those who reject him. Jesus said there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen who feasted sumptuously every day and at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham from far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, 
Have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not do so and none may cross from there to us. And he said, then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to them, he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Will you be convinced by the testimony of God's word? Because there are promises that God's people see and greet from afar on the way to heaven. And there are other promises that others see from afar on their way to hell. From which path are you walking tonight? To the Canaan above or to the hell below? Where are you walking to? May it be said of all in this room tonight, he lived and died in faith. She lived and died in faith as they saw and greeted God's promises from afar. Amen. Amen. Why don't we stand to our feet and we